Welcome to the Cannabis Connection. I am your host, Christopher Carr. Tonight we have the privilege to connect with Mean Gene of Aficionado Seed Companies. He's the chief breeder. Mean Gene won this year at the 2015 Emerald Cup for his creation, Cherry Limeade, and is an overall unparalleled master of his craft. Welcome to the program, Gene. Hey, how's it going, Smiley? Good, man. I'm really happy to have you. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Excellent. Well, hey, you know, we just started, but we have a caller, so maybe we can welcome Ganja Girl to the program. Oops, let's see here. Let's see here. Um, Let me go ahead and welcome... We got it now? Okay, great. Gene, are you there? Mean Gene, are you there? Here we go. It looks like we got it up here. Well, tonight we're going to be talking about the art of selection and... uh we're going to lock in our guest. I think we tried to lock him in the very beginning and accidentally transitioned too early. Yep, we got it. So, let's see here. Hello, you're on the Cannabis Connection. Well, the cherry limeade, we're going to get into that. Here we go. We got Gene on the line. Kind of working the phones right here. Gene, are you there? Yeah, so we're going to figure this out presently on the air. So we're going to keep on going. Sorry, Gene, for this complication. There we go. Are you there, Gene? Yep. Excellent. All right. Well, how... Hello, Gene. Hello, Cannabis Connection. Can you guys hear me yet? Yes. Awesome. Yay. So, first of all, congratulations on your first place win this year and second place last year. Thank you. And... I have a few questions, so whenever I get cut off, that'll be fine, but I'll just keep rolling as long as I can. Sure. My yeah. first, yeah, my first question, so I F2'd my Long Valley Royal Kush and my Black Lime Reserve, um, pollinated my females with my males of the same genetics, and I'm just wondering like, what to watch for as they grow when I pop my seeds you know, to differentiate the different phenotypes as early as possible um uh i guess let's let's start with the um let's start with the uh royal Uh, what what are you looking for out of those plants um you know i'm just looking for a beautiful plant that you know is resistant to pests and molds and smells amazing, tastes amazing. I just want to know, like, what kind of variation I should look for 
to know what's going on. Okay. Uh, the, the Royal isn't actually one of my breeds. It was bred by, by our good friend, uh, Mandelbrot, who passed away recently. And he used, um, uh, as far as I can remember, a sour diesel, uh, uh, Highland Afghani and, uh, Garberville Purple Kush. And the way he bred, he tried to leave some variation in it because everybody has different favorites in his seed. And, um, in those, basically, from what I've seen, uh, there tends to be either what we call the sour, the royal sour, or the or the Afghani uh, purple kush leaning ones. And uh-huh. uh, if the ones with the biggest, thickest leaves that are broadest leaves that grow the um, that are more stout and stocky tend to be the Afghani purple kush types. And the ones that are okay. a little bit more lanky tend to be more of the, the royal sour types. And okay. the, the um, royal sour ones tend to be more resistant to the fungus. The reason why the more squat plants um, tend, to, they, they tend to get such big Afghani-type flowers that they, um, are, they're less resistant to the, to the uh, mold inside the buds. And that's just normal because they're so big, you know. But um, uh-huh. they're all pretty resistant. I mean, considering how fat they are. But the ones that the plant that looks the chunkiest also gets the flowers that are the chunkiest. And chunky flower in a lot of breeds tends to mean uh, less resistant to the bud mold. Whereas the royal sour one is is really what I like out of it. Um, it's more like almost, almost honestly more like my cherry limeade. It has the hint. Of the of the perp uh, like the Urkel Granddaddy type smell with the cushy sour diesel type smell as well, and those are the ones I really like, and those will do really well in the moisture compared to the stocky broadleaf plants that you'll get out now. Excellent, and thank you for your call. And I think that's a great segue into maybe just going into your personal background with the strains that. Um, you can tell the story about the the winners. Um, yeah, so uh, you know, I, I guess uh, three years ago, I um, I did third with third place with the cherry limeade, and last year I did second and tenth with the black lime reserve and the cherry limeade, and this year I did first and eleventh with two entries of cherry limeade, and. Um, Basically, the the history on that is that my my buddy uh, Mike Meezy, Mike Marshall, uh, who who sang the the famous song uh, "I Got Five on It" and uh, <laughs> in the day in the '80s, rumors uh, with uh, Timex Social Club, he was uh, friends with some guys from down in the Bay Area who were the first some of the first people to get uh, the cherry pie genetics and the cookies from Jigga and Pie Guy, and uh, he gave me a couple of seeds, and I started them, and I got a clone that we call the the Measy Cherry or the High Grade All-Stars Cherry, and it's basically just a uh, uh, bag seed from some cherry pie, and wow. it was exceptional in that it was really skunky. It was a lot like Granddaddy, really mold-resistant, and it was a lot different than the cherry pie I had seen, but that's what the genetics are. So those guys, uh, of course, get the credit for it being technically a cherry pie plant. 
And with that plant, I bred it to a few different things of my own. And one of them was my black lime. And when I crossed it with the black lime, I initially called it cherry lime. And then my buddy in the bay decided to start calling it cherry limeade. And um, that is the the cherry limeade. It's basically around uh, 18 to 22% THC typically. And um, a lot of them are more than 4% terpene content. And wow. the one that won the cup this year was 5.2% terpenes, I believe, which is really, really high. So that was exciting. Yeah. No, and it, and that's a consistent thing I want to kind of showcase in this show. And just for the callers, we're going to go into the art of selection and, and specific things that uh, Gene, you know, his area of expertise that can help you with your own personal endeavors but just to keep it fair for everyone listening we're going to try to do like broad stroke uh informational kind of you know seeds of enlightenment for everyone to benefit from so just throwing that out there um we're going to try to keep it pretty broad stroke but i i do want to hear you know some of your your story gene because you know we could talk genetics for hours we can go into all the different genealogies and chemotypes and phenotypes of all these different strains but Frenchy cannoli came on our show and this is kind of the the inception of of you coming on tonight was a person cannot be taught to be a breeder it is an art it is beyond an art you're either born a breeder or not and so I know you have already, you know, I can already feel the community just so excited to hear your um your show tonight and so I just want to understand your story a little better and how, you know, how was it that you became so intimately connected with this plant and um and the reason why you started uh propagating and and breeding uh cannabis um, you know, to, to put it real broadly, I'm, I'm interested in uh, nature and the variety of nature and biology in general. And um, I always have been. I've always been interested in, uh, you know, looking for mushrooms, learning about various uh, wild plants and things like that. And uh, at a certain point, I think as, you know, uh, kind of funny because I was, I was, it was a little above my uh, you know, my age group to have read, but I read, uh, The Emperor Wears No Clothes when I was about 10 years old. Wow. And by Jack Herrera. And when I read that, it really blew me away that this plant that I had seen around growing up around a lot of different people's houses, um, was something that was so valuable. And it really, it was really amazing to me that it was, um, that just that it existed in the first place. And I, that really sparked my interest to, learn more and the more I learned and the more people I talked to it just you know it, it's it's a really it's a it's a cool thing you know uh the plant itself and its history and its uses and uh it's diversity you know it's a it's a real it's it's pretty much unparalleled in our history you know it's really been our friend for a long time yeah yeah and maybe um your community and you could talk a little bit you said you know from an early age you read you read jack harrod's book but you also had exposure to the plant from an early age and that's the other thing with this county and our community here in santa cruz is kind of um, an innate component of uh you know 
you know, everyone has some sort of connection to it. And maybe you could talk about, like, from an early age, were you exposed to working with plants or, or you know, obviously the, the curiosity and the fascination with nature was, was there. But what other influences helped uh, propel you towards this path? Uh, well, interestingly enough, you say, you know, with your, with your area there, my, my parents actually, although they weren't from there, they moved here from Santa Cruz in, uh, 1979, basically. And, um, uh, I, I was, I was around, you know, a little, a little bit of plants as I was growing up, even as a baby. And, you know, the, the older I got, the more I was exposed to different experiences. Um, basically as a little, as a really little kid, I was kind of just, uh, immersed in this area. When I was little, the timber industry was huge here and it was like everybody was either kind of a logger or a cattle rancher or a hippie. And it was kind of 50 50 and now it's kind of caught to the point where people who used to be in the timber or cattle business, a lot of them are growing cannabis now, you know? And um, so I wasn't really uh, exposed that much when I was young to those other aspects of the whole uh, community around here. Uh, my mom was a single mom. She, she wasn't able to be, you know, any kind of a big cannabis farmer or anything, but I, it, it, it was around a lot. And um, I did meet a lot of people, and I was exposed to a lot of that. Really early out, I was kind of part of the of the hippie group of people up here, and that kind of put me in. You know, I mean, at the time, it it wasn't considered to really be an advantage at all. It would have been a lot better to be part of the other community as far as financially or legally and all that. But at this point, it's really cool because everything people are starting to change their perspective and start to see that. It's, it's, you know, it's not vilified as much as it used to be. And so now I'm thankful for, you know, for my exposure and my upbringing when I was young. But that was really, that's really where it comes from is just, you know, knowing people who were, you know, living in the woods and trying to make ends meet. And um, that, that's where the whole uh, kind of the whole movement and community comes from, I think, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe, you know, you, you, you touch on a really important thing that this whole endeavor is kind of built upon is is the changing of of people's perspectives and maybe you can help you know define and articulate what has changed and um what what is the overall ethos you know moving forward i mean obviously from being a participant at the emerald cup and and just seeing how this show just launched blasted off you know maybe you can help our audience that is not quite, you know, immersed in the cannabis community, um, give them a, a sense of, of what is happening and, and how it contrasts so differently from back in the day. Well, I think, you know, there's a, you know, to, 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 uh, to kind of draw a comparison, you know, it went from the old days when a lot of people maybe were involved in it for a little bit of, to, to supplement their income. Maybe some people wanted to have a little bit to smoke or, you know, the various reasons why people wanted to grow. Um, and, it, and it being something that people were very secretive about and, uh, you know, everything, just the smallest amount of maybe you have one plant and you might, you know, I'm sure there's people listening right now who probably know somebody who maybe had a few plants in the 1980s and went to jail for 10 or 15 years for that, you know? 
to sure. come and get to the point where now you go to the Sonoma County Fairgrounds where they usually have, you know, it's a, it's a large fairgrounds uh, where they usually do, uh, you know, quote-unquote legitimate fairs. And to see this kind of alternative fair going on, which is the Emerald Cup where there's 25, you know, or 20,000, I'm not sure the exact number, but it was upwards of, I think, maybe 24,000 people sure. were there yeah. this year. And uh, it's just interesting to see that, that kind of a change to where you can see, okay, well, now the police are standing here and they're watching everything. And a yeah. friend of mine, you know, they they were they were there and all of a sudden uh, they're, they're sitting there and there's a, there's a, a, a sheriff standing there and he's watching everything going on and the guy says to the sheriff see uh, everybody's not so bad or anything and the sheriff kind of looked at him well i don't really want to have to admit it but you know the sheriff said yeah i mean this is twenty thousand people here and i haven't seen a fight i haven't really seen an argument and even at just any old concert you know whether it's rock or country or reggae or whatever yeah likely you're gonna see something some kind of unpleasantries and here's 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 two days of 20,000 people all walking around together and everybody was perfectly happy and there was no problems, which is, uh, you know, pretty cool to see. And everybody, everybody felt safe and they didn't feel like they had to hide what they were doing. And that's, you know, that's a big, uh, that, that, that's a big change from how it was even, you know, 10 years ago, I'd say. Yeah, no, absolutely. And you're, you, you, your observation with the, the authorities is really important to showcase with, you know, in other states, in recreational states, I mean, Colorado has been this iconic model and point of reference, and they've seen crime decrease with when the tax revenues increased. And so that alone is just a good testimony of, of the paradigm shift in our society. So we're going to get into a lot of, um, your, uh, you know, your approach to breeding, but before we take a break, I'm going to take a caller and see if we can maybe clear up some details that she had. Hello, you're on the air. Hello. And just speak a little, little softer. Okay, sorry about that. It's um, all good, you're on. Cool. So my question is, um, what are your suggestions for organic IPM? My suggestions for organic IPM, um, it's IPM is definitely one of those things that's really varied between um, schools of thought, um, varying from people who say, well, IPM is basically just a rotation of various natural sprays. Some people like to use predators. Some people like to use uh, fungal inoculants. Other people... Um, other people will say that you, if you can have your soil be healthy enough, your plants will be so healthy that um, nothing really wants to attack them, that they're basically invisible. And uh, it, it, it just all depends really on, on the situation, what you're dealing with, the type of pest, the type of pathogen. Um, I personally believe that if you can keep your plant, basically um, don't... Um, you know, I, it, although it's hard to really pull off, especially the way that everything, the demand for everything is, if you can avoid growing things, if you can grow from seed instead of from clone so that you can keep everything clean to start and you're not importing pests with your plants, 
that's very helpful. If you can't and you already have problems, then you then it goes to another another level, and it depends on what you're trying to achieve. There's the very mo the, you know the least invasive as far as the effect that it's going to have on your stuff. Meaning maybe you're using a compost tea as a spray, and you're using the the fungal inoculants like uh, people use a product called uh, OG Bio, or people use um, uh, actino, actinovate, I think it's called. Yeah. There's, there's different things like that. Then some people will tell you, oh, you know, use use sulfur, use stylet oil, you you know, which is a paraffin product, um, which are less. Although they're, you know, you can't really say that they're from space. They're still natural. They're still technically organic. But at the same time, you go, well, those aren't really things that you want on your flowers. So, I mean, it, it really depends on what you're dealing with in your situation. Um, I've seen a lot of people having a lot of success lately with the enzyme products like um, Big Time Exterminator and um, things like that, but they have to be done daily. And the instructions a lot of times on those type of products will tell you to do one thing and someone with experience might tell you differently. Like in the case of enzymes, you want to use them daily for five days in a row. You want to make sure you're heavily watered before you use them. That's something that's uh, effective against broad mites and russet mites, which is like the biggest question people have right now. And that's what mm -hmm. I've seen that works that is natural. Um, you know what? Would you have a specific question or something that you're trying to combat? You know, I came to the same conclusion that you just mentioned that this year I'm just doing seeds because the ones that were more susceptible to spider mites and powder mildew were my clones for sure. Um, and I mean, I did a program of green cleaner and I think I used organicide and, um, Dr. Zymes. Um, but I just want to like understand if I'm going to be making an entry into the Emerald Cup and trying to abide by the correct procedures so that I don't have a failed lab test. Like what are the best choices and is there anything you can even do once you've gone into flower or is that going to give you a, you know, failed lab test? It's all become so complex. It's really interesting and I'm just trying to yeah. like start a dialogue and, and, and. Yeah, no, it's a great questions. dialogue and I think it's a really important <laughs> one because I think that it, as, as dangerous as, um, things are for the whole, for the whole community things, you know, Basically, the powdery mildew and the um, and the, the 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 little mites, you know, the broad mites, cyclamen mites, russet mites. I think those are kind of the biggest threats, really. And um, uh, as far as I know, um, the enzyme products contain uh, they contain uh, so something from a derivative of yeast. And I know that when you get things lab tested, that yeast will make things fail. For you can only have a certain amount of yeast on a given um, sample for testing, and okay. I know that if you use things that are fungal, then that will also make you fail. And I think that that's a little. It, it, in some of those cases, it's less of a question of is it good versus um, is, should the testing be adjusted a little bit. Like I know some people who have really good. Um, results using certain products that if you use that product it's completely harmless and it's not a bad mold um 
and or and that's not a bad bacteria, but it'll still make you fail the test and say that your stuff is uh, not clean, which means that it's unhealthy when in reality it, it's not that it's unhealthy. It's just that it has a certain amount of this specific uh, organism. It has a beneficial microbe, not a non-beneficial microbe, but it still tests as a microbe. Exactly, and that's because of the way the testing is, you know, and that's like the thing with like with my entry this year, I knew that it was going to be clean because I basically, I took a seed, I started it in a greenhouse, I put it, um, I waited for him to sex, I let him get big, I put him in the, in the big pot that it finished in, and it never was sprayed with any type of product, and because I started from seed in a clean area, and it went to a clean area, and I make sure to never enter my garden um, with any, like I don't go to the nursery and then come home and go to my garden. I go to the nursery, come home, I change my clothes, my clothes go in the washer, and then, you know, and that's basic, like, uh, really simple, kind of dumbed-down laboratory protocol, you know, to say, okay, well, we're going to keep this air, we're going to take these simple scientific steps to make sure that you're not going to have these things to battle in the first place, you know? And then a big one, like um, like with mildew, is that if you live in an area where you know you're going to have a problem with mildew, it's really nice if you can find genetics that are very mildew-resistant. So resistance to pests and pathogens is huge. And in commercial agriculture, that's something that breeders are doing all the time, trying to find a wheat that doesn't mind, uh, that doesn't get root rot when it sits in too much water from flooding, or to find something that doesn't get a type of mold or blight and, and things like that. And that's something that um, in our, you know, the, the, the way that everything is with, with, with markets and patient needs and all this, it, it's people are, um, you know, like just for example, uh, the cushions that everybody wants, they tend to attract and come with mildew when you get them. And if you don't live in a really arid environment, that mildew likes to, get crazy so if you live you know people everybody wants og kush but if you live on the coast it's going to be hard to grow og kush without really advanced ipm you know but you might be able to grow a certain afghani or a certain hybrid of something um that's resilient uh, yeah that's more resilient and then all of a sudden you'll go oh well all this work that i've been doing i didn't even need to do if i had this more resilient strain so you know, all that, all that's something to take into consideration. And, um, uh, you know, it, it's like I said, every situation is different. If you're trying to really avoid having pests and pathogens, my best advice is to start your own stuff, you know, and that way you're not being handed these pathogens. Because a lot of people are saying, oh, the russet mites are here or they're there or I got them this way or that way. And the feds honestly, dropped them from an airplane. Yeah, but I, I still haven't heard kidding. of anybody getting them. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you just got to start from seed <laughs> and, and pick your genetics wisely. That's what I'm doing this year is all seeds. Yeah, and, yeah. and preventative is everything. Keeping the plants very healthy, you know, you, you don't have to fix it if it ain't broke. Yeah, and if you're okay, not Okay, but I have one question. So we, we do have to take a break soon, just so you know. So let's try to wrap the, okay, the question. Okay, I'll make it fast. I'm sorry. Um so I, I was doing my IPM, but then I thought I might have broad mites, so I did 
get the predator mite. So my question is, if you introduce predator mites and then you do, say, like green cleaner or something like that, is the green cleaner that's for the spider mites going to wipe out your predator mites that you have for the broad mites? Um, yeah, it's really likely if you're using a product that's a suffocant, like an oil-based product that is something mm-hmm. that's basically going to smother insects, it's going to smother all your insects. And that's, that's why it's really thought. good. You really have to balance, you know, you have to balance your technique. So if you know that you're going to use predators, then you want to use um, a spray or something that's not going to be, like, I mean, you can use um, you can use uh, neem and uh, karanja. Uh, meal in your dirt or the mm-hmm. spray the oils of those they become kind of systemic and then once right. there's not a lot of them around then when you use your predators with those types of products then you're not going to have as big of a as big of a problem because y- you're you know they're the basically the bugs that eat other bugs they don't eat your plants so if your plant itself has things in it that are deterring everything like neem does then you're not going to have as big of a problem excellent gene let's take a quick break and we'll get into more um, pro tips with gene when we come back just stay on the line gene we'll be right back Needful Things Smoke Shop has the largest and most extensive selection of glassware, hookah, e-liquids, vaporizers, and accessories at prices that can't be beat. Featuring glass from Toro, Mobius, Luke Wilson, Hops, Boro Farm, Sheldon Black, and many more artists. Centrally located on the corner of Pacific and Maple next to Subway, open Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to 8 p.m. and Sundays, noon to 6 p.m. Come on down and check us out and let us take care of all your smoking needs. Ease is the world's leading marijuana technology company that helps patients get a medical marijuana evaluation online for only $25 and a professional delivery in about 15 minutes. Patients can create an account online, meet a doctor on a live video chat, and request a delivery on demand, all from the comfort of their home. Try it now at easeup.com. Ever wonder why one strain makes you feel sleepy and relaxed and another one makes you feel energetic? Curious if that green cannabis was handled professionally and is free of mold and pesticides? How about that edible? Making sure you know exactly how much you have purchased and how much you are about to eat just makes sense, doesn't it? Today's solution to those questions is simple. Cannabis testing. For over five years, SC Labs has served the medical cannabis market to ensure product safety and transparency. At SC Laboratories, we provide the state-of-the-art third-party testing so that you know exactly what is in your medical cannabis. Look for the SC Labs logo on your local collective's products to know your medicine has been tested and visit sclabs.com to see public test results and to learn more about our services. The Cannabis Connection is brought to you by Kind People's Collective. Quickly becoming a community epicenter for local art, culture, and cannabis, Kind People's Collective is creating a new standard for alternative medicine. The staff at Kind People's Collective provides professional and well-informed guidance to help patients understand how cannabis may best suit their needs. 
Come experience Santa Cruz's state-of-the-art facility located at 3600 Soquel Avenue at the corner of 17th Ave and Soquel Frontage Road. Please visit our website at kindpeoples.org. For all things cannabis-related, get informed, get relief. Welcome back to the Cannabis Connection. I'm your host, Christopher Carr, here with Mean Gene of Aficionado Seeds. We're going to discuss how a breeder must have an exceptional intuition in choosing a suitable female to breed with and how many experienced growers may be able to pick pick out a, a nice female, but a master breeder, they have the ability to not only know and have the intuition for the female, but also possess the capacity to choose a special male worthy of comp- complementing the special female, creating a next-level offspring that can embody positive traits of both parents while being completely unique and exceptional in its own right. So maybe you kind of initially started with... Uh, our first caller's question about, you know, trying to create a really nice st- uh, strain and you kind of were looking, you, you know, giving details on, you know, this this bushiness here and, and this vigorous growth on the flower here. So maybe you can help us understand, like, what do you look for in a female and what do you look for in a male? Uh, you know, I'm not, my best advice really is to um, to really make a lot of observations as you're dealing with something and you might you know uh you you might be able to luck out and go okay well i've never really dealt with these genetics but i'm just going to pick one because i like it and you go with your intuition and you go with what you do know about something but in a lot of cases what the, the, the real trick to it is actually learning um what is what comes from which type of plants in a type of seed and um and and basically that comes down to looking for the markers for certain traits meaning that you know certain genes um are there alone by themselves and they 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 travel through generations alone and other things move in blocks so in in certain strains it might be typical that the ones that have the broad leaves um also have the big fat buds and you might find out in other strains that the ones that have the broad leaves have uh have airy buds with too many leaves and you might find in other strains that the leaves and the flowers the the shape of the flower clusters they don't even they don't even really have anything to do with each other so if you've grown something uh, for a few generations and you've seen a big um cross section of, of of what different things look like then you're able to go oh okay like um you know in in um in my uh, black lime seed, I tend to like the ones that have the really crazy jagged saw blade leaves. Those ones, to me, they they pretty much every time they're going to have the more citrusy uh, profile, and that's because those are coming from the side that had um, that had the kind of terpene production that I really liked from the cross. So it's not that that. Um, in all strains, crazy jagged leaves are always going to be something exotic. But it's that when I started with the initial seed that carried the citrus terpenes in my black lime, those were, those had really jagged leaves. And when they breed, they tend, those traits tend to travel together. 
those genes. So it's like a gene block where it's like, okay, jagged leaves, limey terps, you know? Sure. So when you work with it, then that, then that's your little trick. And there's no way to really unlock those secrets, um, without, you know, doing modern breeding styles, which I don't really work with, which is like laboratory work where you go, okay, well, we've identified, we've identified these, these, um, markers and these genes in a lab. Yeah. And we know that plant has those and now boom you can just cut to the chase that's what you know uh big 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 ag does like monsanto and those guys they they, they'll actually test the corn before they sprout it and go okay well we don't need to sprout that we'll sprout this corn sure you know and um so but 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 in the case of how we're doing things um traditionally it's really comes down to learning what different things do seeing um correlations between things um and then being able to observe them and know and beyond that, you have to be able to know really what you like in the first place. If you don't have an opinion, then you don't really have anywhere to start. You know what I mean? Absolutely. That's my, that's my biggest trick, you know. And um, anybody can do that, but it, it comes down to what your own preference is. It's like anybody can anybody can take a photograph, but some photographers, they pick really cool stuff to take a picture of. And then, hey, if you're a great photographer, then you get good pictures. Yeah, no, that's a great correlation. So one one key thing I'm hearing is to, before you start trying to breed genetics, you're essentially trying to run that certain type in order to, you know, learn from it and, and know what, you know, know that those, you know, serrated leaves are going to produce that high lime terpene count versus a broad smooth leaf is more of a leafier bud right like so you know for aspiring breeders maybe they should consider really getting to know the the strains that they would would like to work with prior to actually you know introducing the male and and the female and and having pollen introduced yeah and i mean you know that's 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 uh that's that's like you know for if, if you have the luxury of that. Now, if you have a plant that you really like and you really want some seeds from it and, you know, you have this male over here and you just want to try something, there's never anything wrong with that. You know, the main thing is to, um, you know, it's good to, in my opinion, it's good to be honest about what you did um, just for scientific historical purposes. You know what I mean? Sure. And, um, and then to... Um, to just check out and see what it did like you know there's there's uh plenty of times that i'll just make some seed i go well i have this plant and i already have this pollen i'm doing this one here let's go ahead and feed one of these and we'll see what that does you know and although that's random and it's just you know what people would call just you know chucking some pollen yeah (laughs) at the time that might be how you find your winner that might be the best strain you ever made was the 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 quote-unquote stupid one you know the the, the and, pollen chucker yeah yeah and you you might you might take all this time and do all this crazy stuff to do all this crazy selection and huge numbers and you know then you breed this one and it's like oh well that one didn't uh carry anything you wanted and it's a total failure and this other one over here you threw it on this other clone and hey wow this one's great <laughs> <laughs> oh. so nature knows best and it's really it's really up to the plant yeah, and it, it, it's just all about observation and, um, you know, like not, not thinking, oh, well, I'm great at making seeds, so these seeds must be great, you know, like you have to keep your, you have to, you have to detach your ego from the process and be, 
uh, objective so that you can look and go, well, I mean, I think this will be good, but let's see. You can't just go, well, I know it'll be good, so there it is. You know, it's it's all a matter of of really um, observing what's going on and then trying to work those observations into uh, into a practical form so you can say, okay, well, here in this strain, these are the ones I always like. I always like the one with the purple stem, so I'm going to pick all the ones with the purple stem, and then, you know, I'll go from there or whatever it is. And then, you know, you see if it works or you see if it doesn't. And if it works, then you get a winner and you can, you, can, you know, give, give it out to people and everything. Absolutely. Is there um, any way, like, have you learned from other industry, other ag models? You mentioned the wheat before, um, you know, and you mentioned Monsanto, which is probably not what we want ever for the cannabis community. But is there any, you know, we as a community, you know, we're in this paradigm shift where we're coming into, uh, you know, regulating medicinal cannabis and, and cultivating with, you know, integrity and responsibly. And so is there any other education like models that we can look to in your opinion, as far as bringing cannabis into, you know, society into a more of a accepted ag crop? Yeah. You know, I think it's, I think it's, um, it's typically really a, a beneficial thing if you can have, you know, uh, uh, interdisciplinary, uh, you know, type logic to where you, 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 you're, you're, the way you're thinking is going, okay, well, you know, like me, I, ideas for me stand alone. I'm not going to look at, I'm not going to go, well, Monsanto did it, so I'm not going to do it. If they have a bad idea that I don't like, I'm going to go, yeah, I don't want to gene splice animal genes into cannabis. Sure, or That's a terminator crazy. gene or, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But if I find out that, oh, hey, look, they run a hundred thousand of these and they put it through this and then look, they introduce, you know, they go ahead and intentionally flood stuff and introduce this pathogen to see what, to see which ones are the most resistant. I go, hey, well, that is a good idea. You want to find what's resistant. Sure. Then you have to, you know, subject it to this poor condition and if something thrives in the poor condition then you know hey we just found something that's extra that's extra tenacious and it really wants to be here you know yeah, it's the and scientific method too you know experimentation and having a question and testing it yeah so you know any given idea that you can get from anywhere it's like you know i mean you can you can use i, I like analogies a lot so you can use you can use other ideas to um to teach you about something else, you know what I mean? Like you can, sure. oh well, it's like a it's like a hand of cards, and you got to make sure that you pick the right card and you play it the right way, and yeah. well, you know, you a million different things, and that's, you know, you always want to be looking at, okay, well, w- w- what can I take from this subject and apply it to my subject? What can I take from that subject and apply it to the subject? You know, so I think it's pretty much unlimited. I think yeah. you can get beneficial ideas for breeding cannabis from. A lot of stuff, probably from working on a car or, you know, it could be anything, man. Yeah. No, beautiful. So maybe when, when you know, our first caller, she covered a lot in that first little bit, but talking about stability and, um, the, you know, there's so many little nuanced terms that, you know, when you talk shop at a, at a cup or something, you know, IPM integrated pest management and the the F2. So when we're when we're 
when we find two, you know, strains that we really love and we want to make the most stable genetics, what, what is a good approach as far as trying our best to steward the plant towards stability? Well, it's, it's interesting, you know, whenever you're talking about breeding, you're talking about a specific set of traits. So in some cases, somebody might only need three traits to be big. They want it to be crystally purple and fat. All right, well, then, you know, to stabilize a strain for only one or three traits is pretty easy. Then when you go to trying to stabilize it for you know, 35 traits, then all of a sudden you're getting into more, you're going to need a little fortune on your side, you know? Yeah. You need luck luck for that. But um, as far as, you know, it really all depends on stabilizing a strain with what your goal is, how stable is what your definition of stable is, you know what I mean? So, like, for me, there's certain strains where I go, okay, I want them to be extremely terpy, and I want them to be, um, you know, I don't, I want them to have one type of smell or one family of smells, meaning like I want these all to be citrusy, but that's good enough for me. I don't need just grapefruit. Or, or just, just lime. Yeah, you want the citrus or, nuance. Yeah, I want to have that. And because, um, you know, it, it, it's for me, I'm not shooting to just have it completely be bottlenecked to one thing that they're all exactly the same. Because to me, if you really want to grow a monocrop of something exactly the same, you can clone it, you know? Yeah. But so I want to leave in enough of the of the variation that I actually enjoy to go, okay, well, this plant breeds true for vigorous, fast growth. It's mold resistant. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't get attacked by really any type of fungus too bad. It um, is pest resistant. It doesn't get attacked by bugs. It, um, you know, it's consi- it has consistent plant to plant, has consistent water needs. It has a um, it has a reasonably consistent finishing time. Um, they're all they all produce tons of resin. They all produce tons of terpenes. They're all I'm not gonna you know plant a lime seed and get train wreck smells. I'm mm-hmm. always gonna get be cushy, earthy, nice. You know something that people who like that they're gonna go oh well I really like this one and I really like that one. And so to me there's already I already have it's already breeding true for. 14 traits so if they don't smell all smell exactly like a actual lime then i'm not going to be disappointed because it's already breeding true for so many things that i'm really happy with it um but then if you want to take it one step further then you can go ahead and go okay well i found this particular female that um in this particular male and when they breed their seed every plant smells it has all those other things going for it, and it smells exactly like lime well then, all right. Here you, you you have it. You can you can stabilize things relatively fast if you try a lot of different pairings between individuals, and you only use this male on this female. So they're actual pairs of plants. And when you actually grow the seeds out to test them to see what they do, you'll have some. And it, it's it's you know basic basic genetics of going okay. Well these line these basically line up, and these are these breed true for this trait. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it, it's just a matter of how how true do you want it. If you're going to make something and it's going to be such and such OG, you don't really want to plant any of them and go, well, you know, only one out of five of them really smelled like OG. 
because people want the OG smell. It's not just the, they don't just want a lanky plant that breaks easy and wants to get powdery mildew. You know what I mean? Sure. They want an OG smell. So if you're going to make OG seed, then you gotta, you gotta find the parents that uh, actually produce seeds that, that produce that, that OG. But the, um, you know, the real trick of it is to try lots of different combinations. And that's why it's a, it's a big undertaking to do breeding where you're really trying to go for a, a specific goal. You know, but yeah. um, the, the the tricks of it for me are really looking for those plants that you know that you know do that. You know, like okay, this is a, this male here. It's got the it's got to look. I can smell the plant. Smells like OG. It's got a lot of resin on it. It's um, you know, when it buds, it has a particular look of what I've seen in the past. It's really what what it comes down to is 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 like I said before. You really want to learn. What does what? And once you figure that out, then you want to do your best to put the right things together. And if they work, they work. And when they don't, don't don't fool yourself. You know, don't think, oh well, I made it. My OG must be the best OG, or my you know Afghani must. It's like if it's good, it's good. And if it's not, you got to go. Oops, scratch that one. You know. Yeah, live and learn, and and it's 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 really just another drop in the bucket of our greater you know evolution of stewarding and co-evolution with the plant yeah yeah and um you know i mean there's the tricks of of course there's the there's the you know the stuff that they they teach us a little bit in high school of doing the punnett squares and stuff like that but those things are made really to analyze one trait and although they can be really helpful it's going to be really hard to do something like create sour diesel seed because here we're trying to lot we're going to be basically running you know, 60 squares and then trying to figure out the data from them. And they make software for it now that makes it easier and everything. But uh, like uh, Shiloh from, from Dying Breed Seeds, you know, he say he told me one time I was talking to him about all the, the more, you know, uh, extravagant, you know, laboratory stuff people are doing. And he was like, man, it's, it's basically all about selecting. You got to just be good at selecting what you like because, you can do whatever you want with the science of it, but you're still going to have to attempt the cross. And after you do it, you're going to have to see what it did. And that's that's what all the the science is basically just a way to help you keep track of of you know your success or your failure, basically. So. And one key thing is you have to develop your palate. I think you you said selecting and and being a selector and 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 observing and maybe what just really quickly what what advice do you think you can give to a aspiring grower and breeder as far as developing, you know, a, a sensitive palate? I think it's really major to learn about food and flowers and, um, you know, like herbs, like you, if, if, if you can learn the difference between coriander and thyme and marjoram and basil and Thai basil and lemongrass and, uh, you can really, you know, pay attention to smells and really learn the, the subtle differences and nuances between things. Then as you're going through, you're going to be able to identify things where there's a whole lot of people who are still going to taste a wine and they're going to go, I don't know, it tastes like, tastes like wine. Sure. There's a lot of people who will taste a wine and go, oh, I taste like dried currant and I taste a little bit of you pepper know, and... There's a little bit, a touch of, of, of pepper and, oh, not black pepper. It's like white pepper. Or sure. Whatever it is. So 
you know, to be able to really learn um, the subtleties between smells in general will help you a lot because some people, you know, and, and it's a lot of people, smell um, weed and they go, I don't know, it smells like weed to me, dude. And you're like, but you don't smell. It's like Fruit Loops or something. <laughs> yes, Skittles or, or yeah. And they, they go, uh, no, dude, it just smells like some really stinky pot, bro. And like, all right. And that's not when you, with somebody who does that, they might still be able to breed incredible cultivars that they say, okay, well, this is going to get this much yield and it's going to get this percent of THC. It's going to be really stinky or it's not going to be very stinky. But like my, my thing is like the subtleties, the magic nuances between, okay, well, there's this one and there's this one. And you go back and forth and you go, oh, but this one has that little bit of cream over the top of it that's almost indescribable, but there it is, you know? Yeah. When you can do that, 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 um, when people are really looking at a lot of stuff side by side, there's going to be those ones that stand out because you did the work to analyze it and observe, you know, observation is the key, you know, every time for breeding, you just, it's really all about observing every given trait and figuring out what you want from those things and, you know, um, ma making those wind up in the, in the progeny from your projects, you know? Yeah. Well, Gene, is there anything else you'd like to communicate before we go? I really appreciate you coming on tonight, and this has been a great, great, you know, conversation on observation and, and being, you know, as best as we can be to uh, steward the plant. Yeah, um, you know, my biggest thing, my biggest concern, really, that I'm trying to, you know, get people to understand a little bit is, um, you know, there's a big, there's a big debate over oh well is so-and-so a real breeder or is it is this are they really doing breeding work and you know it, it, in the days when people were farmers if people had corn they had corn and they sowed their corn seed and they grew corn and people had corn you know and i i, I think there's a lot of lines being drawn between okay well is that legitimate or is it not or this and that and I, well i understand like the concern you want to have good seeds of course um I think it's also important for more people to take an interest in making their own seeds because I think that there's a diversity in the gene pool that um, there's not really potential for 10 or 12 of the best guys to be able to preserve all that. There's going to have to be, you know, you need millions of people with millions of lines of, of cannabis to be able to say, well, we're going to protect all of it for the future, for study and for use and just to help the plant because the plant helps us, you know. Yes. So I really think uh, there needs to be more emphasis on preservation yes. of stuff as opposed to just developing what's going to be best for the market or what's going to be best in, in one person's opinion when, you know, it, it, there's there's all this diversity and we, we've lost so much already. Yes. And it's happened with all the other crops in the world. We have a lot less types of melons, squash, tomatoes cucumbers there used to be you know there used to be 300 kinds of potatoes that were on the market worldwide and now we have nine or something those yeah. are arbitrary those aren't real numbers okay we're getting we're getting we're wrapping it up but yeah go All out right. there and and breed and go out there and grow and let's spread the diversity and keep our, keep it growing thank you gene yeah. thank you man. much love brother you have a great right. night and you've been listening yeah. to the cannabis connection stay up santa cruz we'll have swami select next week have a great week and have a great night. From Capitola to Carmel, Red Hot News Talk, AM 1080, KSCO Santa Cruz.